Revelation 2, we are in the second week of our Keep Shining series. And our goal as a local church, just as the scriptures point to these local churches in the book of Revelation, is to shine for the brightness of the glory of God. Amen? And that's, we, we're seeing the churches as lampstands. In fact, if you look with me here in Revelation chapter 2 and look at verse 1, the first verse of our text today says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, if you were with us last week, you remember that we're in the book of Revelation. We're looking at John seeing a vision of things that are yet to come. And we're studying that verse by verse on Wednesday nights. But here in chapters 2 and chapter 3, he's not focused on future events. He's focused on what is happening in the seven churches that are located in Asia Minor. And so today we come to the first of these churches. And what we want to do is we want to learn lessons for our Christian lives. We want to keep shining brightly as believers and as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we come to Ephesus, and Ephesus is a major city in Asia Minor. At the time, it's a, it was a major port city in the Greek and Roman empires. A lot going on in Ephesus, and we'll talk about that as we go through the message today. But read the opening, read the, the first seven verses of chapter 2 with me. We read verse number 1, and now in verse number 2, Jesus speaks specifically to this church, and he says, I know thy, what's the word? I know your works and your labor, thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my namesake has labored and has not fainted. How are we doing so far? Great, wouldn't you say? Strong, steadfast. You would describe this as a healthy, thriving local church. I mean, they're working, they would have had nerf darts all over the auditorium, this kind of church. I mean, they've got ministries and they've got activities and events and service and they're standing for the truth and they're doing what's right. But we come to verse number four, and the opening word of verse number four is what? Nevertheless. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. There is a problem, and it's a significant problem. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. They didn't lose their love. They didn't misplace it, but they what? They left. They left their first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, he that, um, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray together. 
Lord, we ask that you'd help us this morning as we study the scriptures. Lord, I need your help to work through this passage, to explain it, Lord, to put the emphasis, Holy Spirit, that you would have given to this text. So please help me. And we as a church, we need, we need your presence and your guidance to teach us, to convict us, Lord. So I pray that this time in the Word would not just be time to fill in our service, but Lord, that we'd truly hear from you this morning. Lord, we know that you're here. We know that you're speaking. It's up to us to have ears to hear. So help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what you'll see over the next few weeks is there are similarities in the instructions to the churches. Often there's something the church is praised for. Often there's something that the church is challenged or confronted about a problem. There is, as you see in Ephesus, the danger that their candlestick, their lampstand, their fire might be put out. It might be removed. That they are at the point where the very existence of their church as a witness for the gospel is being threatened. But each church, oh, then you'll also see at the end of each of these um, each of these letters to the churches, at the end you'll also see this idea of overcoming, that, that true believers are those who overcome. We looked at that last week, that in every church, whether, whether the church remains faithful corporate, corporately or not, in every church there are overcomers, there are true believers, there is the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit of God among them. No matter how far a church has fallen, if there are true believers there, there is still the opportunity to overcome. And so you see those similarities, but the, the problem with each church tends to be unique. And so what we've already seen with Ephesus is the problem is they are the church that left their first love. Now, some of you, you've been in church a long time. How many of you have been, in, have been a faithful church attender for 10 years of your life or more? How many 10 years or more? Wow. How many 20 years of your life or more? How many 30 years of your life or more? Okay. Wow. So we've got, I mean, and then we've got some that are, we've got some that are, you want me to keep going? You want, you're showing off here? Why not? <laughs> or how old you are, right? Either, either way. And then what's exciting, how many of you, it's been less than 10 years that you've walked with the Lord? All right, hands, there are hands around the room. That's awesome. Praise the Lord for that. Something happens sometimes in the life of believers, in the life of Christians, that the love starts to grow cold. How many of you have wrestled with that at some point in your Christian life? That the love starts to grow a little bit cold. And as soon as I, and what I was going to say with that, how many of you have been in church for a long time? Okay, so we're going to talk about love today, right? It's probably the first verse you ever learned. For God so loved the world. God loves, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And you've heard it over and over and over again. God loves me, I love God, we're supposed to love the Lord. And you can kind of maybe just tune out a little bit at this point, where you can say, I've heard a lot about love Love, I get it. Love can even kind of be cheap in our culture today. Wouldn't you say that the word can be tossed around pretty flippantly? But I want you to understand this uh, by way of introduction this morning, that love is the universal longing of the human heart. Think about all of the art, the literature, all of the, uh, all of the, the films, all of the poetry, all of the music that has been dedicated to love. Love is a universal longing 
of humanity. It doesn't matter what culture you're in. It doesn't matter what part of the globe geographically you live in. All people long for love. I was just doing, I, I was just thinking about this and I did a quick uh, Google search as I preparing for the message, just pop songs written about love. You know, and, and you just, you just, your mind right now could probably go through, through dozens and dozens and dozens of them. Why? Because people are looking and longing for love. And not a cheap kind of love, not a, not a fling kind of a love, but a deep, satisfying, abiding love. I think of the words in the, the great love song of the Bible, the Song of Solomon. In Song of Solomon 2, verse 16, uh, it says this, My beloved is mine, and I am his. In chapter 3, verse number 4, she, she says this, I have found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go. That's written thousands of years ago. Are our love songs today any different than that? Love. Love is a longing. And it's a longing that sometimes people find satisfaction to, other times they're broken. So before you, just, before you just dismiss this and say, oh, another Christian message about love, we need to just understand that from the beginning, that people long for love, people will do anything for love, they will spend for love, they will travel for love, they will die for love. Love as a longing. But as believers, we know that love is not only a longing, but love is a command. Deuteronomy 6, 5, the, in, the, in the law of God, this is in the law of God. We think Ten Commandments, thou shalt, thou shalt not, etc. But in the law of God, it's given to the people of God, and thou shalt, what? Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy, thy might. Love the Lord thy God. It's a command. Jesus, they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And he quotes this commandment to love God. So love is a longing and love is a command. But thirdly, and this really, I wanted to meditate on this the most this morning, and that is that love, I want to think of love as divine. Why do we have the longing for love? I mean, we have, we, we have different desires. You and, you and I may want different things out of life, but it's universal that we all want love. Why is that? Who put it there? God did. When did he put it there? When he said, let us make man in what? In our image. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, created he them, created he him, male and female created he them. When God created man in his image, he created man and woman as loving beings. Think about, as, as Christians, we, we, we cling dearly to, to the doctrine of the Trinity, that God has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that perfect relationship, three and one, it's a mystery, of course, we understand that, but you could use a word to describe that relationship, and that is what? Love. In fact, 1 John 4.16, 1 John 4.16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Say it with me. 
God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. In fact, how could God be love if he were not a trinity? If God is love, if it is part of his eternal nature that God, if it is an attribute of his deity that God is love, well, how could he, how could he be love if he were not eternally existent as Father, Son, and Spirit? Because there is the most incredible love between the three persons of the one Godhead. And the mystery of the gospel is that you and I have been invited into that love. Wow. We have been, through Christ, through the cross, we have been invited into that love. God does not need our love. Right? He does not need our love. But think about this for a moment. He desires our love. I, I, that just blew me away as I was, I, I don't, I mean, I guess I've thought about it before, but as I pondered it afresh and anew, that God, who is love, desires my love. God desires love. In fact, some of you remember the first time that uh, your children could say, I love you, right? And then you may remember uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this story or not. I was like, I'm going to decide in the moment if I'm going to share this story or not. So the moment is here. I'm deciding. I'm going to share the story. How many of you want me to share the story now? Okay. So it was about 19 years ago that right about this time of year that I met the love of my life, Deborah. And we, uh, she's going to get real embarrassed now. So I was, I w if you knew me back then, I was a little intense. Um, <laughs> Probably, you know, like my, 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 my siblings joke me and they're like, joke with me and they're like, you were born 30 years old, you know, when you were born. So I, you know, I had some issues. We're, we're still working through them. But um, anyway, so it was, it was 19, about 19 years ago we met and we started our, we, we began to date. Now, at the time, I wasn't just going to say, I love you, you know, because to me, those words had meaning. Right? Yeah. And I would encourage if you're if you're if you're a young person, you're entering into a relationship, be be slow about just throwing that that word out there. Um so we we got to know each other over the course of three months and then we made it official as as they do, as they say, we made it official. And um after another three months. After another three months, and, and that's when you're in that stage where you're writing notes. Any of you wrote notes? How many of you, how many of you ladies, your, your, your husband at one point wrote a love note or two to you? It's happened. Okay? How many of you say it's been a long, long, long time? All right? So anyway, you write those notes, and early on, you're like, you're like, you write this nice little note, and then at the end, it's like, oh, man, how do I sign this? You know? It's like, oh. Respectfully yours? <laughs> Sincerely? You know. I'll just stick with the name. I'll just stick with the name, you know, because I was waiting for that. When you say to someone, I love you, what is the most satisfying thing that can happen at that moment? What would you hear? I love you too. That's what we desire, right? 
So another three months had passed, and now we're, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend, whatever you want to call it, and, and um, she came out to visit, um, and uh, we, we did the whole tour of, of just things in Vermont and things around here after a couple of days, and then I had to bring her back to the airport, and I had mustered up about as much, I was ready at that point, and I had mustered up all of the courage that I, that I had, you know, and I'm waiting for it. We're getting to the airport, and I looked at, I'm not gonna tell you everything I said, because I'm a personal guy, all right? At that moment, I looked and said to Deborah, I love you. And she looked at me and said, nothing. <laughs> Now, I actually, I actually wasn't sure if she would say it back, because I knew that if that we were kind of similar, obviously it worked out, so we were, we were similar enough, I knew that if she was going to say it, she wasn't going to say it if she wasn't 100% ready to say that and mean it. And so another however many months go by, and I went to visit her and her family, and about that time, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this Again, I, I think, you know, I think now. And so we're in the car. I can still remember the whole scene very vividly in my, in my mind. And I turned over in the, in the driver's seat. I turned over, looked at that passenger, who was Deborah, And I said, I love you. And the words I heard back were, I love you too. That's a wonderful thing. Now, I don't take that for granted because, listen now, I do understand this morning that not everyone shares that experience, and I want to be sensitive about that. People, people the sad thing about the curse of sin and the world we live in is, is there are moments in life where people, they don't receive that kind of love. And if you have received that, if you do receive that from another person, we need to cherish it, cherish it as precious but I said that this morning for you to understand this, that the Lord Jesus Christ has said it, as the songwriter said, I love you, written in red. And he wrote it in his blood, and he displayed it on the cross, and he said to you, church, he said to me, I love you you. And I'm afraid sometimes the church replies with crickets. And I think we forget that our, our, he is all-powerful. He transcends us. He, is not, he doesn't need our love. But we forget the desire of our Lord's heart is to hear his church, to hear his believers say, I Love you too. God is love. God displays love. God desires love. Yet even his children withhold it from him. When is the last time that you said, Father, Spirit, Son, I love you too? You see the, a, a glimpse of this in the heart of Jesus in Luke chapter 13. 
Luke chapter 13, Jesus is looking at Jerusalem that he loved so much. And he's remembering all of their history and it's breaking his heart. And Jesus is standing on the hillside and he's looking down at Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you, which killed the prophets, you've stoned them that are sent unto thee. Look what he desired. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. I'm afraid that often God's love for us is unrequited. And that's what happened. What a tragedy. Because I think sometimes we can brush, brush over this church. All right, well, you know, they, they didn't have enough love. They didn't have enough love. They, they didn't have enough love. But, you know, they did this. They did this. They had a lot going on. The offerings were great. The attendance was awesome. The ministries were effective. All these things are happening, you know. So they just, kinda, they just need to kind of get this love taken care of. But the principle is this. Love must come first. Love must come come first. It says in the passage in Revelation 2, it says in verse 4, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Now, most English translations, this is exactly the, the, the order in which they translate it, just because this is how it reads best in English. But my understanding is that if you take the word order in Greek and translate it somewhat awkwardly, the emphasis is put on the first love. In other words, you reverse the order. Instead of saying, thou hast left thy first love, he says, your first love you have left. Your first love you have left. Love must come first. It's got to be first place because it's first person. Jesus must be preeminent in every... We spoke about this last week, that Jesus must be preeminent in everything that we do. I'm afraid sometimes that there are people that have been in church 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Listen to me now. We can become more, we can become more concerned about the way that we do church than with the one who gave us the church. And you see that all over. People forget that the church belongs to Jesus, but it's the beloved bride of Jesus that he gave his life for the church. But we're all focused on, on and, and I'm not saying you are, but this is the danger in churches in, in the West that we get focused on, well, this is what I do in the church, and this is what I do over here, and well, I think we ought to do this. Listen, first and foremost, we must love the Lord Jesus Christ with everything we have. We must love him. You see, without love for Jesus, right actions flow from a wrong motive. In fact, look at the list in verse number three, or verse number two. Works, labor, patience. They've got purity because they can't bear them which say they're apostles or not, or bear them which are evil. They've got truth because they tried the ones who said they're apostles and are not. You found them liars. They've got this strength, this patience. Listen, let's think about those things that they had. What happened to the church? How can you still be doing all these good things, but they're flowing from a wrong motive? What happened? Well, can I tell you, in works, a church can, without love, works can just be a performance train that we're on, where we get addicted to results. 
results. How many of you have ever been, maybe you, you like me, we're in a, um, I'm in a, a business that's very growth-oriented and growth-minded, and boy, I see, Trav, you're shaking your head back there. You're, you're in a sales role, and you're, boy, those results, that success becomes kind of addicting, doesn't it? It's like, man, I got that one. Man, I'm going to get another one. Now I'm going to do this. And, 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 and success in our lives, well, I achieved this, and now I'm going to achieve that. The same thing can happen in a church without the love of Jesus. I, I appreciated what my dad said in the adult Sunday school class today. We don't run our bus just to fill it up and say we had so many kids in our Sunday school class. We, have so many, we, we do it first because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we love him, we love the least of these. I, I loved hearing from, I've got children's workers, Sunday school teachers coming and saying, hey, I'm really concerned. I don't wanna, we don't want to lose these children. Because they're not because there's a love for the Lord and a love for, when you love God, you love his people. You love the ones he loves. But otherwise, we could just become addicted to results. And well, our church has done this. And look, we renovated the building. And now we're going to take on this project. And we added these missionaries. And we do this. And you can just lose sight of why we're doing all of it. It's for the glory and the dedication of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they have labor. Man, they're not just accomplishing, but they're working really, really hard. Have you ever justified a lack of attention to a relationship? Have you ever justified it with busyness? It's the common male trap, right? Like, oh, I love my family, but, you know, I'm just so busy. I'm just too busy to show it. A lot of men fall into that trap, don't we? And we excuse, well, listen, of course I love you. That's why I'm working six days a week and never home and all this, because I'm doing this. I am doing this. (laughs) Some of you have heard this before, right? I'm doing this for you. It's like Mary and Martha. Many of you know the account of Mary and Martha. That, that, that Martha says, Jesus, Mary is just sitting here. I'm working so hard and I'm doing it for you. And Jesus says, Martha, Mary chose the good thing. She's showing her love. Labor, we can justify, we can self-justify with busyness. If we're not careful, if we don't have love for Jesus, these right actions, wrong motive, they become corrupted. Patience, this is the idea of endurance. I've, I've met people that are very impressed with the load that they can carry, everything that they can handle, everything they're able to bear and hold under. They're a pure church, but perhaps, perhaps when you don't love Jesus, your purity can become self-righteousness. Your truth can just become a cold theology doctrinal statement. We believe X, Y, and Z. And have all the doctrines lined up, but no passion for the Lord. You see, I guess if it would all be summed up, it would be this way. Our devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, which should produce these results, it changes from devotion to just duty. And our duties must be empowered by our devotion to the Lord. Because love must come first. It must. Listen, it would, be, it would be better for a church to stop doing some of the things they're doing if it meant they could love Jesus better. You know that? It would. I'll tell you, we did that. We came through the, we came through the pandemic, and we, there are some things that we just we cut back a little bit as, as a church, some of the activities and the things that we were going to do because we wanted to make sure that people had time 
to both love the Lord, love their families, and love their church family. And just because it doesn't look like so-and-so's church or such-and-such or my friend's church does this or this person does that, none of that matters because the first thing we have to know, is our church in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and are we about his business? Love has to come first. Do you remember? Right before Jesus ascends into heaven, John, who received the book of Revelation, recorded the story where Peter and Jesus are sitting around the fire. And Jesus says, Simon Peter, do you what? Do you love me? And and Peter says, oh, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, what? Feed my sheep. Okay, we got that one settled. Then Jesus looks at him again in the moment, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I do. Jesus says, feed my sheep. The third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And now Peter is just, he's a little bit frustrated. And he says, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Feed the sheep. What's he doing? He's he's making sure Peter knows that before Peter's going to go do great things. And Peter was a guy that was a man of action. He was a doer. He's like, got a sword, I'll use it. You know, got a net, I'll throw it in the water. Give me, put something in my hand, and I'm going to use it. Got sheep, I'll feed them. But Peter, do you love me? Why? Because Jesus doesn't need it, but he desires our love. Do you love me? Love must come first. Secondly here, I want to show you this this morning. Love must be remembered. Love must be remembered. Skip down to verse number five. So we saw in verse four that they have left their first love, but now look at verse number five. Verse number five begins with the statement, this word, remember. Remember, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. He says, remember, remember, think back. Now, what's cool about the Ephesian church is that unlike most of the other churches we're going to look at, we have tons of information about the church in Ephesus. You know why? Because it's, we have information about Ephesus in the book of Acts. We have information about Ephesus in the book of, well, there you go, in the book of Ephesians. This is a key church that we just know an awful lot about. Interesting if you think about the chronology, at this moment in time, we are looking at plus or minus 40 years ahead of what you read about in Acts and Ephesians. I mean, this is, by the time the book of the Revelation is given, this is a 40-year-old church. Guess what? In February, Mount Greylock Baptist Church is turning 40 years old. Pretty cool. But Ephesus is a 40-year-old church. What does that mean? That means that the people, listen now, that means that the people sitting in the pews, they didn't have pews, but the people sitting in whatever they sat in, on the rugs, you know, because Middle Eastern time, the people sitting in those churches, the people that were part of those churches were primarily second and third generation. 
Do you think that's significant? I think it is. There's something about that first generation believer, and I mean in the family, who remembers who they were. And we need to listen carefully to their testimonies. Because listen, I got saved as a, as a, as a very young elementary age child. I came to faith in Christ. And I was just as much a sinner as a drunk on the street, so to speak. Right? We believe that. I was just as much a sinner, but I hadn't experienced that part of my nature up at that point. I didn't know. I have no real, I have no personal understanding of what my sin would have done to my life. I'm so thankful for that, by the way. But, but friends, if you're like me, we need to listen to the stories of the saints who got saved after years of sin and bondage and pain. And when they say, this was my life before Jesus, see, for me, this was my life before Jesus. I colored with brown crayons. Now I color in full colors. You know what I'm saying? I'm not making light of that. I'm so thankful for that. But at the same time, when you listen to my dad get up and preach and he tears up when he talks about what his life was like before Jesus came and how God's mercy reached down and saved his soul when, when he was just felt so undeserving. When you hear that, let it stir your soul. And if that's a testimony like yours, go back and remember from, remember from whence thou art fallen. If your love grows cold, remember who you are or who you would have been without Jesus. The church in, in Ephesus, look at verse number, uh, look at Acts chapter 19. I've given you this, this passage on your handout. This is what happened when they all came to faith. It says, and this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts. These people were involved in witchcraft and false deity worship and idolatry. They used curious arts. They came, they brought all of their books, and what did they do? They burned them right in the city. And they burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. And then it finishes with this, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. There was an awakening in Ephesus. There was a move of the Holy Spirit in the city of Ephesus, and people's lives were changed, and they said, who I used to be, I am not anymore. And in fact, all of this wicked idolatry and this witchcraft that was a part of my life, I'm going to let it be known. All of these things that I've invested my whole, that I've invested, I've wasted my life with these things. They brought them forward, they brought them there, and they burned them. It's the stories that we've, some of us grew up hearing about the person who is addicted to alcohol and God got a hold of their life and they want absolutely nothing to do with it because it destroyed them. And they were, or they're involved in a party lifestyle that was just ruining their life and fornication and all of this and their life is a mess and they came and they said, Jesus, I just want more of you because what you've done for me, look who I was. But second and third generation Christians, they don't say, they, they just say, well, I don't know, I think I should be allowed to do this, or how close can I get to the line? You see what I'm saying? There's a little bit of a difference in perspective. Remember who you were. There's a reason that in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, they crossed the river, 
And Joshua said, pile up, pile up some stones right here. So that in the days to come, in the days to come when your children and their children come by and they say, Dad, what's that big pile of rocks right there? You sit them down and you say, let me tell you what God did for us. Let me tell you what God did for us. Remember who you were. Remember how you loved. And I, I'm going to skip through a couple of these. You can read the book of Ephesians and see in the book of Ephesians, it's just filled with love. And probably the, the capstone of it is the, the third reference in Ephesians I gave you, and that's Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church 30, 40 years earlier, and he said to them, Church, be ye therefore followers of God as what? Th this is what the church was striving to be. That, the Greek word followers, it literally means imitators. Imitators. Be an imitator of God as a, as a little child. This is the idea of, I guess I'm full of personal stories today. When I was a little guy, what, maybe four years old? My mom asked me what I wanted for maybe three years old, I don't know. Yeah, four years old, my fourth birthday. What do you want for your birthday? And I looked at my mom and I said, I want, wait for it, a briefcase. And all my, and Aaron in the back is like, see, told you, right? Except Aaron's son, Maddie, carries around a, uh, a computer case. We don't have briefcases. He carries around this computer satchel. A satchel, okay. But you know why when I was four years old, I, you know, when I was four years old, why did I want to carry a briefcase? Because my dad got up every day and he picked up his briefcase and he went to work. That's what this verse is saying. Be imitators of God as what? Yeah, just like a little kid. This is what God wants. Isn't it funny? Like we think that God is impressed with what we do sometimes. I read through the whole Bible. You know, I've been teaching Sunday school for a long time. That was a great message. Went really well. Aren't you pleased, God? God says, that, that's great. I'm glad you did that. But what I want is your love. I want your love. So he says, be followers of God as dear children, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself to us for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Love. Follow God in love. That's what he desires. Love must come first. Love must be remembered. And finally, love is absolutely essential. Did you notice what he, what he says to the church? He says in verse 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will what? Remove that candlestick. Friends, when, the, when love dies, the church dies. When love dies, the church dies. If you or if I allow the love for the Lord Jesus Christ to wane in my heart, I am threatening 
the health and survival of the church. Not the church. I mean, Jesus' church is going forward. But this local assembly, if I don't love the Lord, it's, it weakens the church here. When love dies, the church dies. And let me finish with this very important thought. Why is this so essential? Because you and I, we were created for an eternal love relationship. See, if we miss love, we miss the whole point of our existence. I mean, really. This is kind of where we began, and and now we're putting it together at the end. We were created to love and be loved by God. To be drawn into that relationship that exists among the Father, Son, and Spirit. We exist for love. And that's why I don't think it's accidental. Look what it says in verse number 7. If you've got an ear, you'd better use it to hear. Hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Keep that verse up. What is being restored here? Eden. This promise to the overcomers. Again, I don't want you to misunderstand. If we put the scriptures together, the, the, the warning to the over or the message to the overcomers is a message to the true believer. See, because what happens is if love starts to die in the church, then the church eventually becomes full of false believers. But the overcomers are the true believers in the church. Now, we are love, we love the Lord, but it waxes and wanes. Waxes and wanes. And so he's warning us about this. But the fact is this, love is what you were created for. And he says, listen, you as an overcomer are headed for the day that the Garden of Eden will be restored. That the tree of life, which, is, which exists in the paradise of God. You see, this is Revelation bringing Genesis in. And it's saying that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. And they talked with him. They walked with God. They talked with God. And in the middle of the garden was the tree of life that symbolized that they were created to live forever. But sin destroyed Eden. But the love and grace of Jesus Christ restores Eden with a new heaven and a new earth, with a future that is secure. The purpose for which we were created is love. John, 1 John 4, I want you to see these passages. These are our last passages today. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. This is John. John writes a lot about love. He writes about it here in Revelation. Wrote about it in John's gospel, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the only begotten son. You see it here in his epistle, 1 John. In this was manifested the love of God toward us Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Remember we said, there's the song, it says that 
at Calvary, God wrote the words, I love you, written in red. And on the cross, Jesus declared with his blood, I love you. And with arms stretched out, he says, I love you so much. I love you this much. That I will come. I don't need your love, but I desire your love so much that I will come and pay for your sin. I will be the payment for your sin. We think of it very transactionally. He took my sin. I take his forgiveness in life. Yes, there's a transaction, but it's also an invitation into loving union. And then in verse number 16, 1 John 4, it says this, And we have known and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now here it comes. Would you read the last Statement with me. Ready, begin. We love him because he... Let's leave that verse up. We love him because he first loved us. On the cross, Jesus said, I love you. What does he desire to hear back? I love you too. Christian, believer, when's the last time you told the Lord that you loved him? When's the last time in your heart you felt the love for the Lord? If it's been a long time, you can change that today. God, there's no payback system. God's not saying, oh, you, you say you love me, prove it. He's just waiting for you to return. Like the prodigal, like the father waiting for the child to come home, he's just waiting for you to say, I love you too. So do that today. Reignite your passion for the Lord this morning. And if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if Christianity is just a book or religion or, you know, this thing over here in your life, Jesus is inviting you to experience the love that no one on this earth can provide for you. Jesus is what your soul longs for. You need his forgiveness. You need his grace. You see, you are, you just like me, we're born sinners. We're separated from God. God says, I love you, and we just go through life saying, that's nice, okay. Worse, worse off, God says, I love you, and in our sin we say, well, forget that. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to live my own way. He's simply waiting for the unbeliever to turn in repentance and faith and say, Jesus, today I realize that you are what I need. I'm lost. I'm on my way to hell. But I put my faith in you, Jesus, because you love me. Could we bow our heads and close our eyes as we come to prayer this morning? If you are here or you are watching this message, has there been a time in your life when you have personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior? 
Has there been a time where you said, yes, I understand he died and rose again for me, and I'm trusting him to save me? If you'd say, I'm not sure that's ever happened, I want to invite you to do that right now. Where you sit, wherever you, you are under the sound of my voice this morning, God's Holy Spirit, if he is speaking to your heart, and he's saying, yes, you need Jesus, would you just respond to him today? In your heart, you could pray. There's no magic prayer, but if you want to express your faith in Jesus today, pray something like this. Say, dear Jesus, I am a sinner, but today I understand how much you love me. I believe you died for me, and I believe you rose again, and I put my faith and trust in you and you alone. Only you and nothing else, Jesus. If you pray something like that from your heart, if you'd express to the Lord, yes, I believe in you, Jesus. The Bible says you can know that you are loved. You can know that you'll have a home in heaven. Do that today. Make that decision right now. Christian, how many, for how many of you is this kind of a wake-up this morning? I don't think any of us could say, oh, yes, I, I'm, I checked the box. Sure, I love the Lord with all my heart. Let's take a moment as the instruments play, and let's just, each of us, spend some time with the Lord, thank Him for His sacrifice, and recommit your love to Him this morning. Lord, we do thank you that you loved us first. Lord, our love is so insignificant compared to your great love. We thank you that you will receive it from us. As we think about the cross this morning, as we think about the blood that you shed, as we think about the life that you gave us, the, the life that you saved us from, we just want to say, I love you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.